0: Well, we've had a wonderful time of worship. Now let's pray. And I want to pray for those of you that are, you're just in a blue funk. Pastor, a blue funk? Yeah. I don't even remember where I learned that term, but it's a, a blue funk is you're just kind of depressed. I want to pray for you today. God is good. God is never the source of your problems. God is always the solution. Father, I lift you, my brothers and sisters right now, Some of them, they've just heard a lot of bad news. They've been through a lot of stuff. And Lord, last year was a long year and this COVID thing isn't over yet. Frustrations are setting in. Tiredness and fatigue are setting in. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, you are the God of eternal encouragement. Lord, bring your comfort, bring your encouragement, lift the heads of your people, Father, Let joy fill their hearts again. Father, let that joy just flow into their hearts. Fill them with all joy and fill them with peace and touch them by the power of the Holy Ghost as you promised in Romans. And Lord, let them overflow with hope. Just readjust their attitudes right now, Father, in Jesus' name. Put hope back into their heart, Father. Let them begin to see that you are with them and that you'll never fail them and you'll never forsake them. Let your hand rest upon them, Father. And Lord, let that joy give them strength today. Let them have new strength for today. Let them have new strength for their studies. Let them have new strength for their work from home. Let them have new strength for all that they have to do. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, let's get into the book of Numbers today, we're starting a new book. Numbers chapter one, verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt saying, now notice, he is in the tent of meeting. He's in the holy place. He's in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by father's house, according to the number of names, every male head by head. From 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. These are the names of the men who shall assist you. Now notice, who shall assist you, not replace you, but assist you. From Reuben, Elazur, the son of Shadur. And from Simeon, Shalamael, the son of Zurish Dadi. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Amminadab. From Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zaur. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Halon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Eshamah, the son of Amihud. And from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pentehazur. From Benjamin, Abidan, the son of Gideonai. From Dan, ahiza the son of Amish Shaddai. And from Asher, Pagil, the son of Akran, And from Gad, Elishath, the son of Daul. And from Natali, Ahira, the son of Anan. These are the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named. And on the first day of the second month, They assembled the whole congregation together, who registered themselves by clans, by father's houses, according to the number of names from twenty years old and upward, head by head. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he listed them in the wilderness of Sinai. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations by clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from twenty years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those from the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Of the people of Simeon, their generations by clans, by their fathers' houses, those of them who were listed according to their number of names head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward who were able to go to war. And those of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Now, I want you just to notice here, 20 years old, 20 years old. God didn't send 18-year-old boys to war. He waited until they were 20. There's reasons for that. Of the people of Gad, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, those listed in the tribe of Gad, were 46,650. And notice there's a pretty even distribution taking place. Of the people of Judah, their generations by clans, by their father's houses, according to their number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed from the tribe of Judah were 76,500. So, wow, this is this is big. Of the men of Issachar, their generations by clans, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, again, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war. Those listed by the tribe of Issachar were 54,000. Of the people of Zebulun, Their generations, by clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Benjamin, of Zebulun, were fifty seven thousand four hundred. Of the people of Joseph, namely of the people of Ephraim, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, those twenty years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Ephraim, forty thousand five hundred. Now notice the people of Joseph. We have Ephraim and Manasseh, the two half tribes. Their generations by clans by their father's house, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, able every man able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Manasseh, thirty-two thousand two hundred. Of the people of Benjamin, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war were 35,400. Now we're getting smaller, Diba. Of the people of Dan, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Dan were at 62,700. So we're going back up. But now I want you to notice Ephraim and Manasseh combined, the people of Joseph, would have been 62,700, all right, the two half-tribes together. Of the tribe of Asher, their generation, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Asher, 41,000, we're going down again, 500. Of the people of Naphtali, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Manasseh, was 53,400. These are those who were listed when Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, 12 men each representing his father's house. So all those listed by the people of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 600, 603,550. Now this is this is a wow. This is a military force of 600,000 men wandering in the wilderness. Now maybe you can begin to understand why other nations were afraid of them. You have 603,550 men able to go to war. So this doesn't count the women and the children yet. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, only the tribe of Levi you shall not list and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they are to take care of it, and they shall camp around the tabernacle." All right, so this is Levi's responsibility. Now notice, they were responsible over the tabernacle, the furnishings, over all that belonged to it. They were to take care of it and they shall camp around it. Their role was to protect this and care for the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tits by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did all according that the Lord commanded Moses. So if if this is the tabernacle set up, the tribe of Levi camped all around them, and then each of the tribes camped in these different areas, okay, all around it. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their fathers. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So every camp, if this was the tabernacle, every camp was to be set up facing God. Ha <laughs> I like that. So when you walked out of your tent, you faced God. I like that. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab. His company were listed at being seventy four thousand six hundred. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Nathaniel, the son of Za'ur, his company being listed as 54,500. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun being Eliab, the son of Helon, His company being listed at 57,400. Those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall be the first on the march. Wow. So they took point. Military guys like to say they take point. In other words, any trouble that came had to come through Judah. And I like that. Judah means praise. Any problems that come have to come through praise. (laughs) I like that. But that's a whole sermon. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies. The chief of the people of Reuben being Elezur, the son of Shadur, and his company being listed as 46,500. And those to the camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon being Shelamel the son of Zeresh and his company listed 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Elishaf, the son of Raul, his company being listed as 46,650. All those listed in the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450. They shall set out second. Now I like that. All right, so... When the people of Israel were marching and traveling, Judah was first, Reuben was second. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps as they camp. So they shall set out, each in position, standard by standard. So Judah went first, Reuben went second, and then Levi with the tabernacle went third. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama, the son of Aminahud, his company being listed as 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Nasseh, Manasseh, being Gamil, the son of Pentehazur, his company as listed being 32,500. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin being Abidon, the son of Gidinai, his company as listed being 35,400. Those listed on the camp of Ephraim by their companies were a 108,100, and they shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Ahazer, the son of Aminashaddai, his company as listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagil, the son of Akran, his company being listed at 41,500. Then the tribe of Natali, the chief of the people of Natali being Ahira, the son of Enan, his company as listed being 53,400. All those listed of the the camp of Dan were 150,600. They shall set out last. All right, so this is the rear guard. This is the rear guard. Now you notice the size of the people that were put out in front and put in back. Strong tribes. These are the people of Israel as listed by their fathers' houses. All those listed at the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, So they camped by their standards, and so they set out. So they camped, and they set out, each one in his clan according to his father's house. (laughs) Now notice, there's some beautiful truths on strategy and protection. The military guys will probably be getting more out of this than the rest of us, because they'll understand size and power, and who goes first and who goes second. But there's some beautiful troops there. And I like that truth. Praise always goes first. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. New Testament passage today picks up in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now, Pharisees, they would be, these would be the legalists, the fundamentals, and the Herodians, they would be the, for lack of a better term, the quasi-political party, okay? So this is this is half-half, okay? Half politics, half spiritual. And their purpose is to trap him in his talk. Now, brothers and sisters, you have to be very careful because in life you'll learn that there are people who come to you not with an open heart, okay? There is no open heart, No honest questions. No honest questions here. This is people that are sent to trap Jesus in his own words. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. All right, so watch out for questions prefaced with (laughs) sip-sip, okay? Anytime people preface their questions with sip-sip, you're headed for a trap, okay? Anytime questions are prefaced with sip-sip. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? All right, now, you've gotta understand, the Pharisees up here, These guys said no. The Herodians up here, these guys said yes. So the other way that you recognize is when you have a trap is when you have two different groups asking the same questions. So when you have two groups, totally philosophically different, joining together to challenge you with the same question, you've got a trap. So let's talk about how to recognize traps. All right. Number one, they're sent. Number two, it's sip, sip. And number three, same question, different groups. Ah. But knowing their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy just means. They're actors, knowing that they're just acting. The sip-sip is just an act. He said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and whose inscription is it? And they said to him, Caesars. Now, I have several denariuses in our little micro-Israel museum. Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesars. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesars the things that are Caesars and give to God the things that are God's. Now notice, they couldn't trap him because the, he didn't say, he never answered their question. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's his money, give it to him. See, the offerings given to God, they were a very different thing. They did they would never bear a human likeness. To this day, when you go with us to Israel, you'll find that their coins Bear are no human likeness. They'll do plants, they'll put trees, they'll do fruit, but they will never put a human likeness on a coin. There's one little tiny boutique hotel in Israel that I stayed one time in Jerusalem, and it's owned by an old German settlement group. It's a very small hotel. And the first thing I recognized is, this is not a Jewish hotel. How did I know that? Because they had statues with faces on them. Ah. You won't find that. Remember when you walked through the old quarter with us uh, over in the Essene community area? Remember how King David's statue was there and they'd always deface it and people would break the nose off of it and they'd throw black paint on it? I think, in fact, the last trip, I think, last year, that statue was gone because it just kept being defaced. The Jews do not believe in any graven images. There are no statues that will have a human face on it. All right? So you would never bring your offering with Caesar's face on it. The Jews did not like that. And the Sadducees came to him. All right, so we've had the Pharisees, we've had the Herodians, and now we have the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, they were also a denomination, so to speak, but you didn't join this denomination. You were born in it. The Sadducees were the leftovers of the ancient Hasmonean ruling class, the Hasmonean the dynasty, the ruling class of the people of Israel during the intertestamental period before Rome took over. The Sadducees came. And notice the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. All right, so here we have a doctrinal issue. Doctrinal issue. And they ask him a question saying, Teacher, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, that man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first one took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. The second one took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, because they don't believe in the resurrection, when they rise again, because they don't believe anybody, there's no life after death. Whose wife will she be? For seven had her as a wife. Now, whenever you get into religion, religion always has philosophy. Philosophical questions. Philosophical questions that cannot be answered if you don't agree with their doctrine. He said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? He said, "Now let me... He said, let me show you why you're wrong. He said, you have wrong doctrine. He said, you have wrong doctrine for two reasons. Number one, you don't know the scripture. And number two, you don't know the power of God. Now, here are the two sources of false doctrine. two sources of false doctrine. You don't know the scripture. You you found one verse that you're standing on and that's your big deal thing, but you don't understand the rest of the scripture. And you don't, the Bible stands as a unit. It doesn't stand as pick and choose and proof text this little thing and God spoke this little thing to me. You, You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That's where false doctrine comes from. He said, this is the reason you're wrong. Now he continues, for when they rise from the dead, all right, so Jesus taught resurrection. When they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like the angels of heaven. The angels in heaven are not, they are not a race. They are a company. Now there's a lot of people that want to talk about angels having sex with people, and that's where the Nephilim came from. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, angels cannot procreate. Angels cannot impregnate. Angels are a company. They are not a race. And Jesus teaches us very here, very clearly. demons and demons are nothing but fallen angels. They cannot procreate. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Angels and demons are a company, a fixed number. They were created in a fixed number and they do not procreate. Mankind is a race. We procreate. We are told to go forth and fill the earth angels were never told that. So when people begin to teach you about, you know, demons impregnating women and things like that, I'm sorry. It's just nonsense. Jesus is very clear. He said, now, in the resurrection, we're not going to have sex anymore. In the resurrection, we're not going to produce babies anymore. In our glorified bodies, there is no more sex and there is no more procreation. We will be like the angels. We're going to be kind of No sex, okay? I mean, we're going to be like the angels, neither male nor female. And as for the dead being raised, have you not? Now, again, he corrects doctrine. As for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus corrected doctrine. He corrected doctrine with Scripture. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Now remember, who is a scribe? Now we've talked about Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians. Who are the scribes? These are the guys that copied the Torah scrolls. They would literally sit down very meticulously, and they would copy word for word. This is before printing machines. On a piece of lambskin, they would literally copy an entire scroll, letter by letter, jot by jot, tittle by tittle. It was very meticulous work. Okay, they knew the scriptures pretty well. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, this is a good answer. He said, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay, so he recognizes. He recognized Jesus's knowledge of the word. Which commandment is the most important at all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. Now, as we go through the rest of, especially when we get into the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to see these phrases coming up, and they're not part of the Ten Commandments. Okay, They're not part of the Ten Commandments. We always focus on the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, these are the two greatest commandments. The two greatest. Love God. And love your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commandments. He said, there is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all the understanding, heart, understanding, and all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely. Wow. A man who answered well. Now there's a whole sermon in that maybe one day. A man who answered well. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> Why? Because they couldn't stand before his knowledge. I mean, please. He is the word. He, he, he I mean, he's God. He dictated this stuff. He, he knows his word. And he recognized the man who answered wisely. Here's my thing. May we all be. A person who answers wisely from the scripture. Amen. All right. A little bit more time this morning. Proverbs. Let me read you Proverbs today from the New Living Translation. Sometimes it's sometimes it's nice. New Living is so it's such a nice read. I think you know, maybe next year we should do New Living. He said, To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid. To hate correction. That's pretty cool. If you're going to learn, you must love discipline. So what do we love? You don't want to be disciplined. You don't want anybody telling you what to do or what not to do. You don't want anybody correcting you. You you don't want anybody putting a schedule on you. No wonder you don't learn. It is stupid to hate correction. Have you ever seen people that when you corrected them, they just go berserk? It's stupid to hate correction. The Lord approves of those who are good, but He condemns those who plan wickedness. Beloved, you should never plan to hurt other people. You should never plan to destroy other people. Never plan wickedness, ever. Wickedness never brings stability. But the godly has deep roots. Now, how to recognize? How to recognize who is who? Wickedness never brings stability. You find unstable people constantly changing what they say? Wickedness. The godly have deep roots. You know, godly people are people who are just, they're not flashy but they're stable. Godly people are stable people. They may not be flashy. They may not be exciting, but they don't change. They're stable. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband. A disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. Now, notice bones. This is pain. Have you ever prayed for somebody who had bone cancer? I have. They say it's probably the most painful kind of cancer, at least that's what I'm told, I'm not a doctor. A disgraceful woman is like constant pain. It's like a pain that's gonna kill you and it never goes away. But a worthy wife is like a crown for her husband. The plans of the godly are just, okay. So now we're talking about plans again, all right? so. We have plans up here, we have plans down here. People plan wickedness, but the plans of the godly are just. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. Man, it's, it's going to get you in trouble. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. Wow. The words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. Bang, they got you. The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. Wow. The family of the godly stands firm. Not just the godly. This is another one of these inheritance concepts. If you will live a godly life, your family will stand firm. Hmm. I like that. A sensible person wins admiration, but a warped mind, (laughs) a warped mind is despised. Now, come up here, and an English Standard Version says, one of a twisted mind is despised. A warped mind. Now, you have to understand, these people were people who worked with agricultural things. So if you get a piece of wood and it's warped, the, the wood is twisted. Have, have you ever tried to use a piece, piece of warped lumber? I mean, it's, it's hard to use it. He said, a person with a warped mind is despised. Their mind is twisted. Their mind is warped. And, and this is, these are verses on reputation. Someone who's got a warped mind, their reputation, they're despised by everybody around them. Give them a while in any new situation, and they'll be despised. Give these people, you know, give them six months with a new group of people, and they'll be despised. There is no stability among them. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be self-important but have no food. (laughs) You know, there are people that are... A legend in their own mind. Now, English version says, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play a great man and lack bread. There are people that are legends in their own mind. They they think they are so great. But you know what? They have nothing. It's better to just, hey, I'm just an ordinary person. But you've always got food. Amen? All right. We're going to see you tonight, 7 o'clock, getting back into the book of Romans. We'll see you then.